Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League through to the National League and beyond. This week we're joined by some very special guests. It is Em and Beth, the founders of the South London Laces Community FC. Thank you so much for coming on today, guys. No problem. Thank you for having us. Excited. Yeah, definitely. We've got some really exciting content coming up. So in today's pod, we're firstly going to be speaking about the Women's FA Cup final, and then we're going to be delving into the world of grassroots football. We cover everything here on the Women's Football Podcast. <laughs> and then by the end of it, we're going to wrap up by having a look back over the FA WSL season for an ad hoc award ceremony for our players of the season. But first, let's kick it off at Wembley as Chelsea played Manchester City in front of a record crowd of over 49,000 people. I was there covering the game and you can have a look back over our, on our Twitter at TWFP1 to see my minute by minute hot takes, if, if that's something you fancy. And what a game it was to cover. Both teams came out fighting straight from the get-go. Kerr heading home across maybe a shot from Chelsea's very own striking centre-back, Millie Bright. Hemp danced through the Blues' defence to put one away, bringing it level just before the break. After each goal was scored, it seemed to galvanise both of the teams. The energy on the pitch kept being raised and raised. And half-time came and went, and Cuthbert gave Chelsea the lead again with a beautiful strike just in front of their fans, taking it to 2-1. City kept pushing, and in the 88th minute, Razo found the goal, dragging the game into a long, long extra time. In the 99th minute, who else but Sam Kerr found the back of the net again after waltzing past her fellow Matilda, Alana Kennedy, to push her second and Chelsea's third past Ellie Roebuck. And as much as City pushed and pushed, they could not equalise. The game ended 3-2 and Chelsea lifted the FA Cup again. Beth England said this after the fixture. Um, obviously, the Conti Cup final, we were outplayed by City by a country mile. Um, so I'm really proud of the girls for grinding that result out and, and getting our trophy back home. We've had such a tough year, just as everyone has, but we were like, we wanted to make sure we gave our girls the send-off that they deserved. And yeah, obviously bringing home another title and trophy is, uh, is what we wanted to do. It never gets old, let me tell you, walking up them stairs and celebrating and cheering with the fans. and. They're always our 12th man. Um, I think without them, we wouldn't be where we are. Um, playing on such a momentous pitch is just a dream, and uh, I'm very privileged to be in this position. I think it's just for the girls to get a good rest in. Um, everyone's worked their socks off all year. I think everyone deserves a good break. Obviously, we've got the Euros, so um, we'll see what happens with that. For now, I just want to get rested, get ready to go again if I'm called upon, and yeah, I'll just get myself in the best position. I think, obviously, start the season, I'll weren't really playing much then when I finally did get a chance I didn't pick up a, an injury um, but I think I was able to bounce back in the right way got more game time scoring some goals and I hope I, I know that I've helped the team get to this position and I'm very proud of that so for me it's just it's one of them seasons where you grind it out which is what everyone's done this year and I'm, I'm very pleased that we've ended it on two trophies. What a game. The players looked absolutely exhausted by the end of the 120 minutes. Erin Cuthbert literally fell to the floor. It was another hard-fought win for Emma Hayes' Chelsea. But the real question was, do you actually think it was deserved? Em, what do you think? 100%. Yeah, they definitely, definitely um, deserved it in terms of the win. Um, I mean, if you're looking at the team coming off, well, both teams have been in excellent form, haven't they? in terms of the WSL and, and sort of the finish to that season. But if you look at the game sort of in and of itself, yeah, I think Chelsea were definitely deserved winners in terms of coming away from the trophy. I think it was Emma Hayes I read yesterday that she said they just had to find another gear in terms of, because Man City absolutely 100% way to take it away from them in terms of being able to, to match the game and, and come back twice in terms of um, um, drawing the score. Um, But yeah, I think Chelsea definitely deserved to win yesterday. Yeah, saying that though, after the game, Alex Greenwood came out to the press and stated that she thought that City were the better side on the day and they were kind of robbed of that win. Beth, what do you think they need to have done to churn out that win then? Especially with the run of form that City's on, it's not like they couldn't have competed and they put in a brilliant performance on the day. What do you think really splits the two sides? I think 
Man City are probably a little bit more clinical in the final third. Um, so I think taking the opportunities, like, I don't know, in terms of uh, Taylor putting on Ellen White towards the end, that I felt like if you would have put Ellen White on towards a little, probably a little bit more earlier, that was the gear that Chelsea kind of galvanised um, a lot, little bit earlier. Um, and I think they just, they were, at, you could tell they were absolutely shattered, but Chelsea are a very well rehearsed team. They've they've got depth in their squad. They know exactly how they play. Where City, they've got form, but they've only just got form coming back with a lot of players coming back from injury. So they're still trying to find form together and find that gear together. And you could really tell towards the end, especially when they were pushing for that final goal. Do you think that there's a togetherness issue at City then? Gareth Taylor within the week when he was asked about extension of like Lucy Bronze's contract that he wanted players who wanted to play for City to play for City. Chelsea are very much seen as a unit. I feel like the team, when they come out on social media and speak about the team, they speak the team as a unit. Do you think that's something that City need to work on? I think every team has to work on, on being a unit. But I think if you compare against Chelsea and Man City, Chelsea's togetherness blows any kind of WSL team out out the water in terms of kind of the leadership shaping behaviour and behaviour shape, shaping culture. Chelsea have that nailed, and I'm not too sure about City. You don't see them. They don't. I don't. I don't feel. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like they emulate that enough. Like the, for me, like the passion in Chelsea when they play, you can really feel it. But with with City, you don't. You don't feel that. It's just a bit like you don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but. Um, there is that they're missing that togetherness I I do think but yeah again you don't know what's going on behind doors but Chelsea just seems that they just they just wanted it and they've just been on form the whole entire season like look at look at Beth England she hard she she's not been an out and out player but like she comes on and she's just passionate like she's there for the team when do you see that with some of the subs coming on with City you don't see the same kind of enthusiasm and passion so I think Chelsea have it nailed you both play football as well. What is the impact of when you have that sort of togetherness in, in the team? Can you really tell the difference? Oh, I think it's absolutely massive. Um, like Beth said, culture is huge in terms of then breeding success on, onto the pitch. Um, and I think, like Beth said, it's just uh, reiterate a few bits. You can sort of get that vibe from Chelsea, don't you? They're, they're quite exciting. Um, Man City struggled at the first part of the season um, really to, to sort of get going and, and Chelsea have just got this sort of extra, almost like I said earlier, that sort of extra gear in them um, and you, you sort of have complete faith that they're going to take it to that next next level, which is, which is really, really interesting um, from a point of view in terms of the stuff that happens off the pitch as well as the stuff that happens on the pitch. But I think it's, it's a bit where Beth said as well in terms of the depth of that Chelsea squad is is unbelievable. I know there's not of I know there's a lot of sort of big names leaving this summer, and that would be really interesting to see what impact that has on the team. Um, but yeah, just the the personalities they've got there, and and not to sort of pin it on one player because the squad is unbelievable. But you can see Sam Kerr. I'm probably giving away a little bit who I'm going to go to later around sort of player of the season. But I think she's such a um, sort of out-and-out out professional and such an incredible player that that can be sort of drag the level up for the for the rest of the team and create those moments because that's all you need in a game of football to flip it. You just need a moment of excellence. And at that level, the moments are a lot rarer to, to come across. So if you've got players like Sam Kerr setting a bar alongside big-time players like Emily Bright, like the Colonel Harder, like Ericsson, um, incredible players that are just going to drive things even further and then allow the team to sort of find that extra gear, that sixth gear, if you like, to, to flip the game back in their favour. And when you said earlier, the 99th minute, I was like, that just sounds so intense. I mean, like Sam Kerr scored in the 99th minute. It's just un unbelievable. It was a fantastic game to be at. Taking a step back, though, and looking at Chelsea's season as a whole, at the start of it, it could have potentially been a bit rocky. They failed to make it out of their Champions League group. They couldn't beat City in the final of the League Cup, but they've now gone on to grind out results, win the league and win the FA Cup. If you were Emma Hayes, would you be proud of this season? I would be proud because I think 
when you have such a huge depth and such a talented depth in your squad, to keep the people on the bench happy and wanting to come on that pitch and, you know, just breathe kind of joy in playing and, like Em said, creating those moments, you'd be happy with that because you always see in football a churn of players don't get a lot of game time, move to another club and they, they do this kind of like rotation. So your depth is always changing and, and we all know that that happens a lot with if it's men's or it's women's football but I'd be happy she would probably see being knocked out of the Champions League um quite early as well it would be a knockback you want you want to play at the highest level really considering how where they got to in Champions League last season it's it's probably a failure but in terms of winning the FA Cup and the league there'll be some elements that she'll see as success and some and I think you just look at kind of the Real Madrid's and the Barcelona's at the moment and see what they're they're doing. There is a gear shift. And as much as like in the UK, women's football is really kicking on, there is an element of a gear shift in terms of what we do at a systemic level to ensure that it is taken to kind of, there is a new trajectory so clubs can compete with the likes of Barcelona because let's not knock it, like Chelsea are unbelievable, but the game against Barcelona is just, well, they're just phenomenal, aren't they? Yeah, like, incredible. Yeah, not to divert it away from Man City, Chelsea, but you know, as women's football as a whole, um, you like this is what Emma Hayes will be doing. She'll be looking at who who is the best in the world because she'll be wanting to compete, and to compete, you need to make sure your resources and your staffing and everything is is up up boss. And knowing probably Emma Hayes, she's probably already thinking now, what am I going to do to be competing next season? How are we going to build on our success? Yeah, that's a brilliant point, actually, and leads and leads right into what I was going to say next. What is there to improve on? How do you get up to that level against to be competing against the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Wolfsburg? What would you be looking to do for Chelsea in this sort of tra- in this transfer window if you were Emma Hayes, or is it more introspective the work that needs to be done? I think when you're looking at competing at that level, it's high performance, isn't it? It's sort of the 1%, it's the elite of the elite. Um, In terms of in the transfer window, I think you've got to replace G. She's massive and an absolute Chelsea legend. Um, You could tell yesterday when she came on the pitch and then when she left the pitch, because she went off just before sort of the final, final whistle, if you like, and the crowd were just cheering her on and it's been a massive part of that squad. So if you've got a player like that, um, a magician, if you like, in, in centre midfield, I know there's depth to the squad. I know um, there are other players who can adopt those positions, but that's something that will be needed to look at next year. And no doubt, I guess, um, Emma Hayes has probably got players in mind who might fill that position or players already in the squad that will step into that role. But that's something that will need to need to be looked at in terms of that turnover um, of players and players leaving. Um, apart from that, I think it's probably putting a bit of a microscope on the Champions League, looking at what teams are going to be competing next season. And then thinking, well, from a performance perspective, what will give those sort of marginal gains in terms of putting that performance on the pitch and doing all the bits behind the scenes off the pitch to make sure that it can come to fruition within that 90, 120 minutes um, in terms of getting a result. And I think what will be important there is having a consistent and good start to the, the WSL next season. And then like I said earlier, taking those moments within games and having a really good game plan and strategy going into the matches against different opposition because the teams in Europe will probably play slightly differently to teams in the UK and it's going to be that really high level of opposition as well. So having that consistency um, within those absolutely massive games and like Beth said earlier, those players that are stepping in and off the bench, being able to perform at those high standards as well. I think that would be really important. But I'm probably um, saying stuff that Emma Hayes will be thinking about two years ago. So, yeah. Well, if you're listening in, Emma, let us there know. You go. Send us a tweet. <laughs> we We'd can lo- have we a love chat, to hear Emma. from you. Yeah, we can have a chat. We'll link you guys up. It'll be brilliant. I'm yeah. just really interesting. I'm really interested to see who's going to be the person who now gets time off for them because I interviewed Drew Spence and apparently yeah. G is the only player who was able to get 
time off for the whole squad from Emma Hayes. So now she apparently they didn't have a day off for the whole time of the Asia Cup because she wasn't there to ask. So it's going to be really interesting to see who (laughs) slips into that position or you're just going to see the Chelsea team get very fatigued by like Christmas time. That's it. Uh, I think that's the things you don't think about as well is you see performances out on the pitch, but you sort of, what's the the personalities that are going to be missing in the dressing room or who's going to come into the dressing room so sort of that level of insight is really really interesting because we we have it in our club that we have different personalities and people that um bring different things to the table and different things to, to the teams that we have which is amazing and such a massive part of it but we don't really get as much insight into that for good reason, in terms of the WSL teams, you can't just step into the, the dressing room and be like, all right, guys, how are you getting on? <laughs> and get to know everyone. What's going on? Who's who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Away from the heights of the WSL, though, our second focus for this podcast today is looking at grassroots football. It's happening on pitches near you and you can get involved. The two guests we have on the show today are real experts when it comes to grassroots. So we're very lucky to have been joined by them today. And hopefully they're gorgeous sausage dog too. Where's the prince? He's here. <laughs> on the lap. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. <laughs> Little Maybe. man is ready to contribute. Yeah, good. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll talk about his involvement later. But so you both Matt's got number one. Oh, 100%, 100%. So you both founded the South London Laces. How did the idea come about and what made you take the plunge? Do you want to go for it? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so it was back <laughs> in 2016. So um, I think basically me and Em knew of Katie, Katie Huey, who started Hackney Laces um, through different capacities um, and through working with the London FA and me working at one of the local schools that they trained at. And for some reason, me and Em, um, we started this women's rec session, um, which is really successful. We had women from the local area down in southwest London uh, joining football, uh, women that had never played, um, women that had just returned and couldn't find a club um, for so many different reasons, really. Mm. Um, And basically we were playing for a club and we just felt that I think after a while we decided we just wanted to do something that was our own. And I think so, I think when you play football, you go looking for something that kind of fits your agenda. And I think we just got slightly fed up with the fact that clubs weren't kind of ran in the way that we wanted them so in terms of we wanted if we were doing a rec session and we had players that had never played before or we had um local um local players from the local area and um, that might not necessarily have money we we were like come to our club like it'll be it'll be so great but it, i don't feel like it was widely accepted so we were just like why don't we just create our own club and that's basically what we did we were like if like we just thought we we are gonna be the change that Southwest London needs. We are we are gonna do it and we're gonna practice it and we're gonna preach it. So that's exactly what we did. Um, our women's rec session um won an award, didn't it, for the yeah. best initiative? Masters Play Awards was uh, we were runner up, runner up, we were runner up. Oh. Sorry, <laughs> winners and ours. In terms, it was a national award though. In terms of like the best and um, just turn up and play session. So we were literally just based in a sports hall, a fantastic sports hall at a community centre in Batsy. Um, and we just rented out every Tuesday, put sound system on, see who walked through the door um, and then just played, just played futsal because it was an indoor area, indoor space. And, and our numbers just rocketed, didn't it? We went yeah. from having four people at our first session to having a player pool of around 50 people it was it was unbelievable the demand was so there for it um and there were the like for me like I met my bridesmaids that were, were at my wedding last last week uh, last year last week last week, um, <laughs> last, week. <laughs> last year um through that session through through laces and we we knew what Hackney Laces was about and we knew Limehouse Laces had kicked off and we just loved the ethos we loved the fact that like it didn't matter about your ability or your age um, or your race. Like you could just play football. It doesn't matter. Like you were welcomed on and off the pitch. And that's what that's what Laces was about. And we wanted to emulate Hackney and Limehouse, basically south of the river. And we were born and, you know, we've been thriving ever since. Yeah. A bit of surviving in there, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of surviving. Um, 
but it was sort of born on need wasn't it as well yeah. so we had a lot of players come and they were like oh this is fantastic I just love being involved in football again can we play 11 aside and we were like yeah sure why not so we sort of started the 11 aside setup from that and that was oh, was 2016 so yeah. years ago now that seems like a lifetime ago but six six years ago so yeah May 2016 we started so almost sort of a bit of an anniversary here I think um, <laughs> but yeah so that just just started it and literally got the ball rolling in terms of all the provision that we wanted to put on um, and then within our first season being in the Greater London Women's Football League we, we won our league got promoted a division um, which was fantastic because um, a little bit about our club as well is we're not performance focused at all you can probably get that vibe from us already literally anybody can come and play and I know it's a little bit sort of anti-traditional football setups where a lot of clubs trial I've seen already lots of clubs are advertising their trials we fundamentally and from day one of our setup have said that it's not the players on trial it's the club and when we say that to people in email they're like wait what are you sure what what does that mean and say so we're on trial not you so the best thing is that you come to a session you enjoy it you like us what we're about who we are get on and meet all the other players and then you come back the next week so that's a massive success factor from us we will not turn anybody away from coming and playing with our club and our setup um, and from that we've grown massively in in numbers over the last few years which obviously brings with it in itself um massive massive challenges as well to run a grassroots football club in in london yeah that's the thing so what have been the most difficult things that you've found when you first started out and has that changed as the kind of clubs developed uh i'm gonna say no the issues still yeah. persist i mean we totally get that we're not alone in terms of the issues in running a grassroots club. I mean, everybody, everybody who owns a grassroots club faces that. But I think being based in London, we have massive opportunities, huge opportunities being here and based here. Um, but also, I think the challenges are exasperated as well. Um, one being, and I think you'll agree with me, Beth, in terms of this, but being finding pitch space. So we've got a bit of criteria when it comes to pitch space. It needs to be safe because we've had safety issues in the past in terms of the spaces we're accessing and using are dimly lit or um, don't have changing rooms or don't have female toilets. or that. So they need to be safe and accessible and affordable. And it's not impossible to get somewhere that ticks all three of those boxes in, in London. So that's a challenge we've had since... 2016 in terms of finding spaces yeah I would agree yeah <laughs> what's the kind of setup so you have your kind of main team and what are the other things that you kind of do and put on um so we have the on-pitch stuff so when I say on-pitch um again responding to organic needs so we have an 11 aside team that have been competing in the league um for say probably six years now and we've just started a a second team and they've turned themselves as the casuals because they like the idea of kind of flitting in and out depending on people um our students or um work shift patterns and you just they just want to play kind of ad hoc but um we just entered them into the Clapham Friendly League um, and they play um, every two weeks and they, they train at the same time as us and then we also play in a five-a-side league and we'll probably enter another five-a-side league as well just because of the demand but we have the off-the-pitch stuff as well which is, is really important so again it's just kind of like it's kind of like I sound like I'm being really kind of textbook with this, but it, it is just basically just listening and actively listening. So say, for example, it's the socials. It's the we have players that only met each other literally this side of the year and they've gone on holiday together. Like that's how, you know, like football is the vehicle for social mobility. So when I say social mobility is those players that have moved from a different country and have come to the UK, got a job and they love football or they want to play football, they've seen it on TV, etc. And they want to meet friends. And as a result of coming to Lasis, they've made lifelong friendships, just like I have, just like Em has, and probably yourself. Um, and then there's kind of the stuff where 
for example, last week we're all at the pub and um, I'm having a chat with players and there was about nine of us around the table and out of the nine, seven people were looking for actively looking for new jobs because they're either unhappy or they've just lost their job or um, they want to change, they want a career change, that kind of stuff. And I was thinking, oh, we need to, we just go out there and find like someone who can help us. Like, I don't want like a bog standard career person. I want someone to come in and figure out like what what are our players' whys? Like, and a lot of people are kind of going, they, they term it kind of like the languishing phase where you're a bit like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I don't know what my skills are. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know, don't know what my purpose is or what my why is, but I want to do something that's really worthwhile. And I was like, we need to get someone in and we need to do a workshop and we need to figure out what everybody wants to do. Everyone knows they want to play football. What do they want to do with 40 hours of their week? Probably a lot more, but it's just those off the pitch stuff where it's just responding to players, players' needs and we just do it kind of organically. Um, and we realise as well that like for us, like money should never be a barrier. So if we've had players come to us and say, look, I can't really afford it or whatever, um, or I've just been made homeless, for example, we reimburse their sons and say, like, don't worry about it. And we as a volunteer team will go away and make sure we fundraise to ensure that players are covered. Um, we're just a massive family that will really go out of its way to um, make sure everyone really feels a love. And I feel like for us, one a big thing that we try and make sure is possible is that we may have like four different teams, but we're one club and we don't want anyone ever to feel like that. And it's exactly the thing. It really grates me when people are like, oh yeah, we're doing football trials, come down on this date and this date. And as soon as you say that to someone in an email, yeah, you've got this trial at this time and it's like between seven and 9 p.m. All of a sudden they're feeling so anxious about coming down and it's probably not gonna be a positive learning environment for them. Whereas it's just like, you need to come down and you need to see whether we are the right fit for you. Are we, are we people that you would see hanging out with outside of football? Do you want to spend your Sunday playing football? If that's how I look at it, sometimes you're just like, can I spend my Sunday with these people? That's literally how mm. I look at football. Do I enjoy being yeah. around you? Yeah. We are very grassroots oriented, aren't yeah. we? Very, yeah. very people focused. Yeah, you know, and that's what like football should be about. Like, if you want to get yeah. the best out of someone on a football pitch, you need to look at what motivates them outside um, and off the pitch. And I feel like that is literally as much as you've got Limehouse, Hackney, Manchester and South, we all have the same ethos, but we all run very operationally different. I think as well. Um, that was really good. Sorry, yeah. I just really passionate about it. I just yeah. love it. Because this is a passion project and we invest so much time and energy into running the club, as do Limehouse, Manchester and Hackney. Um, and shout out to our volunteer team as well, because we have so many talented mm. people involved in our club, not just on the pitch, but in terms of their skill sets off the pitch. We really want to harness that. So, for example, last year we put out a shout out and said, everybody, tell us what your skill set is and then see if we can use it as a club to help us build, develop, do some fun and cool stuff. And we got so many responses from players. But the nice bit was as well, it was sort of empowering players and, and getting to know players even better. So like Beth said, we are a very small part of people's week. We are a fraction of people's week. I mean, we train what one, two hours max a week and then we yeah. play on a Saturday or Sunday and play on a, a Monday or Wednesday, five aside. Actually, we do quite a lot. So, <laughs> But we are a really small part of people's week. But there's 168 hours in a week. Can we be the best part of people's week? And again, these are the kind of success factors we have. We're not, um, are we top of the table or have we scored the most goals? Or football will happen. Football's football. This is grassroots we're talking about. If we were elite, it would be very different. But we're not. We're, we're sort of harnessing the, the heartbeat of grassroots football. So our, our, our factors and our, our sort of success factors are completely different. So like Beth said, one of the things that was... Um, when we, we sort of get together as our laces community um, as often as we can, we're going up next weekend to play Manchester laces, which is going to be really, really exciting. Um, so our players are really looking forward to that. But we share stuff as clubs as well. So we were like, what is success for us? And one of the things that kind of came out um, from the clubs was, do the players see their football friends outside of football? And if it's a yes, then that's a massive success factor for us. So like Beth said, it was amazing when a bunch of players went on holiday the other week. Oh, we and were they all had the there. best time. Is that where you all going? Yeah. Where are you staying? Why weren't I invited? <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. 
and then they had the best time. And I think that that's what it's all about. It's the on-pitch stuff, but the off-pitch stuff as well, which is really special. So like one of the things, sorry, I will shut up in a minute, but one of the other things we tried to do this season was buy season tickets for Chelsea because it's our lo- it's our local kind of WSL club. That's where a bit of the bias has been coming from yeah. today as well. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So obviously we were like, the players that can't play on a Sunday or mm. kind of when they're playing the games or they don't want to play or that kind of thing. We were like, we'll just get a couple of season tickets so then they can just it gives the players an opportunity to go down and support the women's game and it's just an opportunity where we have these tickets and we just allocate them free obviously jumped on to buy the season tickets sold out which is a, it's a very good problem Oof, to have. Kings, Kings Meadow <laughs> needs to expand what are you exactly. talking about and that is the systemic issue yeah. if women's football needs to grow the stadiums and the infrastructure and everything around it needs to grow or if anyone from Chelsea is listening to this then Hits up with some season tickets. Yeah, that would also be great. <laughs> <laughs> Much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> just, just as a final thing on this, have you found that people's appetite for playing and getting involved with football has changed in the last few years, especially with the growth of the women's game? Has it trickled down? What's been your experience? Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? it? There's a direct correlation between when matches are on or when tournaments are on and how many Instagram messages we get. It's honestly, we'll get people send us a a DM and saying, I'm watching the game. This is amazing. I've never tried football before. Can I come down to one of your sessions? And we're almost actively looking on Instagram when there's tournaments or games on. So we're very aware of that this summer. And Mm. we're almost actively planning for a lot of interest in terms of us now having two 11-a-side teams, a casual setup five-a-side teams and and really sort of trying to respond to that demand in terms of what players want and how they want to play football. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a huge spike. So this summer is going to be amazing. Um, I can't wait for it, in all honesty. Um, and we, we think and anticipate we're going to get a, a spike in the number of people that want to come and play. Hopefully, well, everybody listening, you're, coming, you're welcome to come and, come and play with us. And we just need to find a big enough space, isn't it? Yeah, you've also you've got the women's Euros as well. So I think it's a good opportunity. Like we've already been making contact with the local pubs um, across Southwest London, just being like, this game is on and we would really like to basically have a presence and make a bit of noise. Obviously not going there and be like absolute pirates. Rowdy. Flipping tables. (laughs) Yeah, but just to show that, you know, women's football does have interest and that, you know, you can benefit from it, like, it can be economically feasible, just like men's football. Um, and I think it's just kind of showcasing that, that, you know, it, it, it can happen and it will have an effect. So um, we it is a bit of a priority for our volunteer team at the minute because we're conscious that we also want, we want like those mm-hmm. that have not played before to witness women playing on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, we we almost get as well that lost generation of like... Um, women and non-binary players don't yeah. we in terms of have said I didn't get the opportunity to play at school or I haven't played before or I really like football but I haven't found the right space to play in or environment mm. to play in and we're just like yeah just come down and um, so yeah we have very much have an open door policy don't we yeah pretty much mm. Mm. brilliant way to wrap that up there but we're gonna go on to our end of season awards I'm really hoping that producer Luke can find some royalty free fanfare trumpet sounds that he can slot in at this kind of area before (laughs) we get into it we've got four awards to discuss today so as always these are just our opinions so don't come at me on twitter if your fave doesn't get anything that's all I'm saying we all have to justify each of our answers does that sound good to you guys Oh, I'll try. You'll try. That's okay. Yeah. So the awards that we have are player of the season, player of the season, but outside of the top three, manager of the season and unsung hero. So maybe a player who goes under the radar a little bit, but has been absolutely instrumental in their play this season. So let's go from the end to the start. Let's start with unsung hero. Beth, you're going to kick us off here. I, I wanted I wanted to go first because I'm stealing your answer. But no, I'm gonna... <laughs> yeah. answer. So we obviously have a really deep allegiance with Lotta Rubemoy. And um she's like an ambassador for for NOSAs and kind of what we're advocating for. Um so 
I have a deep affiliation um, for Lotta Movemoy and I just think she's just unbelievable. And I think the potential that she's got for the next kind of few years and in terms of like playing for England and just, she's just an absolute, she's just so good. You've gone proper gushy. Yeah. I know, I know. I hope you don't listen <laughs> to something kind of weird. But she's I, gone to the I, as well. But like, I, I just, her, her, her personality, how she like, she advocates for like the Black Lives, Lives Matter, like she's like left wing. And I just, I just love that. Like she really puts it out there in terms of like her opinions and the fact that, you know, at a grassroots level, like women should have equal spaces to play. <laughs> um kind of football and safe and kind of like cage pitches where we all kind of grew up playing um I just love that so for me she actually my unsung hero and you can't see that and what are you gonna have to put in now I'm gonna say lots of women (laughs) (laughs) no I do completely I do completely agree in terms of the unsung hero title Mm -hmm. as well um around what she she brings to the pitch for for Arsenal's defense as well so yeah lots of women more but also and this is one just because um, she's really impressed me this season, along with the collective team, is Ashley Neville. I think she's been a bit of a stalwart for um, Tottenham this mm. season. And obviously she's won a couple of um, Player of the Month awards, etc. Sorry, I'm um, just laughing because Beth is shaking her head. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's really, really sort of, I think she's hit her form and hit her stride after a couple of years of being Tottenham and probably not doing so. But I think she's been a bit of an impact player for them within that defence mm. in terms of creating opportunities, playing forward, all those little bits and pieces that make a good fullbacks game. Why are you shaking your head, Beth? I just think that probably Rianne Skinner will probably be looking at getting much better fitness. She's just had a contract extension. No, I'm just saying like She's fitness just had a wise. contract extension. She doesn't get a lot of time in like kind of, she, I, I'm not even going to go, I'm not even going to go into it, but I don't, I wouldn't I wouldn't put her in my like player or unsung hero because I I just think there's much better players that play that position in terms of you're savage her final product when she's you're running savage. up and down she always gets caught in the transition I just and she's she's not that quick she always gets beat for me like I just and she always goes to ground you know you always tell me that I always commit and go to ground too early she goes to ground too early she never stands a player up well, Just saying. well, well, I, I was about to say, I feel like mine's going to be a little bit less controversial than that. Okay. I've gone, I've gone for Mary Earps for United okay. because, um, yeah, and it's that's not just my United bias sh- showing through. I think we've had a real issue this season um, with our centre backs um, being lost to injury and which is no one's fault. And so she's been a real stall in the back line and is now the goalkeeper with the most clean sheets in WSL history. And I think it's really showed that that she's been a, a massive kind of, a, she's she's kind of stepped up a level. I think it's probably because being out of the England setup, she's now spoken a lot about how she takes every game in, in her stride and is just happy to be there at all points. And you can tell when a player plays without, without pressure and is just enjoying their football. And you can kind of see that the stress is off for Mary now. She's just taking each game as it comes and each game is a blessing. And you can really tell that that's, that's helped her play. It'd be really interesting to see who's going to be the England keeper for the Euros. because I still completely don't know. agree. Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, also, I think, like we said earlier, Mary's one of those massive, big personality players as well. Like big personality back. players. Yeah. yeah, she's always loud. Yeah, always loud. To the point of you could hear, um, I remember I watched, I think it was England, it was England-Latvia when it was in Latvia um, and they didn't have anyone um, in the stadium because it was still a lockdown there. And you could hear her so loudly and so clearly that the BBC commentators had to um, had to apologise for all of her swearing that you could hear. <laughs> she was Amazing. Which I thought I was love that. Never change, Mary, never change. <laughs> yeah, exactly, never exactly. Change. On to manager of the season, though. I'm going to go first with this one. I've gone for Rianne Skinner. I think she has done a massive turnaround at Tottenham. I know it kind of fell off at the end of the season. Um, friend of the pod, she has come on. Go back and listen to that um, episode if you do. If you do so wish, it was in about February time. But I think she's. I, I think she's brilliant, and I'm really interested to see what she's going to carry on and do with that Tottenham side. Get some signings on over the summer. How about you guys? What do you think? Like, I'm just going to sound like I'm copying you guys now. But I was going for two. I was being being cheeky and going for two. And I was mm-hmm. going for the Skinners 
Mm. So I was going for Rianskina as well to, for similar reasons for you in terms of how well they've done this season and, and probably been the surprising team of the season, I think, in my personal opinion anyway. And then Mark Skinner as well for the, the job that he's done there. I mean, he's an incredible coach, highly experienced coach in his own right, but Casey Stoney left some massive shoes to fill. So in terms of doing what he's done at, at Man United, I think that's quite impressive this season. So I was going Skinner's. So like, I think Casey Stoney leave them where they've just missed out on Champions League and Mark Skinner has just missed out on Champions League as well, so. But he's done well, that. Why are you going to I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Casey Stoney left, like, with, she is phenomenal. Like, I genuinely hope, like, the next generation of, like, female coaches coming through look at people like Casey Stoney and think, I want to be like you. I genuinely think it's... I think it's happening already. No, I, I, I do think it's needed. But like, she left with like a lack because there must have been a lack of resources coming from Man United, and we all know that Man United, if they're going to do something, they're going to do it 100. percent There's no point doing it 50. This is Man United. But Mark Skinner's come in, and what he's just also missed out on Champions League. So if you look at yeah, but he's just stepped. I agree. I agree. But he's what he's had an influx of additional resources. I'm controversial, but I I, I think looking at it from last season, I don't feel like. I think the only key difference is we lost the three main strikers. Like I know Tobin Heath and Christian Press was only there for a season, Mm -hmm. but. United have more registered goalkeepers than they do forwards. Alessia Russo has massively kind of come out of the woodwork this season. Everyone was talking about before when they didn't sign anyone, like, oh my God, Ella Toon's going to have to play false nine. <laughs> She's going to have to be the seventh and the nine. How is it going to work? And still they've managed to come out. Yeah, obviously it kind of all fell, not, I think all fell apart would be a bit strong, but at the end of the season, it didn't go the way that United kind of wanted it. But it's, it's good. It's, it's the basics. We're getting there. We're getting there. But if, you, if you look at that last game of the season, they though, I mean, with Chelsea. Chelsea were a force. I mean, we, we haven't spoken about that game yet, but came that out was unbelievable. That game. I yeah. remember watching it and I was jumping up and down yeah. in the living room thinking, oh my word, they have literally just. We were supposed to go out somewhere and we were 45 minutes late to where we were going because we were like, we can't leave now. This game is unbelievable. Like, it was such a fantastic game. And I think really showcased how unbelievably amazing they can compete with with respective leaders in WSL now. Mm. now so you agree Mark Skinner? Is no, I don't agree with Mark Skinner. I think it will really <laughs> show when he has additional resource with players what he can actually do with it. Like I agree in terms of Rianne Skinner. She's really implemented and taken the additional resources and really executed professionalism up and down Spurs and I think with a couple more players next season and especially um, more of a robust kind of striking force I genuinely think Spurs will be competing like we used to see when it came to the North London derby Arsenal would just walk all over Spurs and now Spurs Mm -hmm. can actually compete and that's really lovely to see as much as like you know love Lata Rubemoy but like that's nice to see. It's closing the gap. Um, and I think that's a credit to yeah, it's gonna. Yeah. I don't think you can negate there, though, the, the sort of groundwork that Karen Hill's put in to oh, get them to that position. Definitely. I think it's just, they've just kicked on massively in mm. terms of, you're right, in that resources investment yeah. that have been put into the team there. It always happens when a manager leaves, they get additional resources saying, you know, I want to do this and all that kind of stuff. And it looks really great on the new person coming in. So kudos to those that. You know, walk the path and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah. On to the player of the season, though, outside of that top three. Um, Who have you gone for? Wait, talk about this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Who have you gone for? Gonna go? Yeah, go on, I'll go first so I don't copy both of you guys. Um, (laughs) I think you're going to like this, to be honest. Um, I've gone for Ella Toon because... Again, um, she's just had an incredible season, I think, domestically and internationally. I think she's really sort of um, done herself massive justice in terms of going, hey, England, I'm here, take a look at me. Um, but yeah, she, as a fan, has just been absolutely incredible to, to watch. Oh, I really struggle with this. Leah Galton. I, I think she's an absolute engine, like genuinely. Um, she just doesn't stop running and... I just think with her left foot, she's just so dangerous. 
But yeah, yeah. I really we're going that. all Man United, aren't we? That's interesting. I'm disappointed yeah. I've actually come with my United player, but no, I agree with you. I think she's um, yeah. And I've purposely not gone for a Manchester United player, but I've gone for Reading's Deanna Rose, new player in the um, FAWSL, my fantasy league's um, namesake. And I, yeah, I was just really impressed. Saw her playing with Canada over the summer, saw that she got signed to Reading. First Mm. of all, thought it was fantastic that a player like that was signing for not one of the top, like, stereotypical top teams in the WSL. I think you're seeing that more now, which is so positive. Um, and I think she's had a brilliant season at um, at Reading. I hope that she she stays for another year. Um, and I just always think back to their game against Chelsea, where she put that goal in in the fourth minute, and then they were able to they were able to get. And I think it was literally like one of their only shots on target the entire game. And having a striker that's clinical, that who's young and exciting, is so is so brilliant to have. So brilliant to have in the team. Yeah, I remember that game. That yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. Do you think she'll stay at Reading though next season? That is the question. Her rights have been traded to a different NWSL club um, over the, the January window, but I think she will like, I think it's likely that she'll stay another year. I don't think she'll stay more than a year unless she gets bought or released or whatever. But yeah, I think she. I think she's got another year left because she's still quite young. I think she's like 20, 22, 23. So hopefully... Hopefully, as talent stays here in the in the WSL. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Especially as with the um, US leagues, they have she's she's Canadian, and you're only allowed to have X amount of non-US players in each team. So I'm sure that that's kind of got a logistical impact in it as well, um, which is always interesting. But on to our player of the season, though. Who who wants to go first on this? Well, Beth, go on. Put I think we know you was. Well, Kim Little. Kim Little, tell us why. She's just a little magician, isn't she? Mm. Like, genuinely, um, I think I saw a video, I can't remember when, I think it was when they played Wolfsburg, and she literally spun, So I think, like, three Wolfsburg players, and I think I probably watched the video back about four or five times because I was like, how on earth has she managed to do that? But having said that, Arsenal have scored a lot of goals this season, and I think a lot of them have been dictated um, by her kind of spreading the ball and I just think she's an absolute workhorse and I think she really kind of brings um, Arsenal together I was toying between Kate and Kate just because I love how like aggressive mm. she is and she scored some absolute worldies so um, yeah I'd probably say more Kim Little but yeah I mean there's a reason why Tobin Heath came out and said that Kim Little's the best player that she's ever played with and that's what a compliment that is. Someone who's been in the US Women's National Team for so long and to come over here and say that Kim Lethal is and you can see how absolutely wonderful she is. But um, go on for yours. I think I might know okay, who this got, might be. Again, I've, got, I've gone a little bit naughty and I've got two. So the obvious one, and I said it at the top end of this, was Sam Kerr. Mm-hmm. I, I just love watching her play as well. The mm-hmm. passion, the energy, the personality. Um, and she's just a, an outstanding footballer as well. And when when she was signed and 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 yeah signed for Chelsea, I was really excited to see her play over here. Um, so yeah, Sam Kerr also top goal scorer. I think you can't you can't ignore that. Um, the other person, just because again she's so exciting to watch, and like Sam Kerr, real attacking force. Um, but also is involved heavily in creating goals as well. So I've, I've gone for my second. Um, I know we we're in space to have one, but oh well. Um, it was Beth Mead. I think mm-hmm. she's had a really, really good season, um, especially when coming off the back of um, probably not playing as often. I think she, again, has been excellent for, for Arsenal this season, not only scoring goals, but creating goals, but also a really, really, really exciting player to watch. I think, again, she's like hit a stride and is a force to be to be reckoned with. Um, I was toying as well, though, because I was looking at the, the table and um, Chelsea and Arsenal haven't conceded many goals this season. So I was thinking, should I go with a, a, a defender? Should I go with a player from back four, goalkeeper? Mm. I thought, no, let's go with the ones that score the goals. Let's go the other end of the pitch. Yeah, the- go with Sam Kerr and, and Beth Mead. But shout out to all the defenders out there. 
Yeah, definitely. It's it's a shame because I feel like we don't see we we don't always put defenders at the forefront of kind of it because yeah. they're not doing the like exciting stuff per se. Um, but I've fallen foul of that as well because I've gone for an attacking player. My player of the season is Lauren Hemp by an absolute country mile. I think when all of the stuff that was happening with City, she was an incredible force for them that kept kept on playing. And I just kind of sat back um, and watched her yesterday, and I was just like, oh my goodness. She's got a Ballon d'Or in her for at some point during her career. And I don't say that lightly. The way that she can, she makes it look absolutely effortless, the way she dances around players. And think of how good she is now. What was she going to be like at 26? Like, what's she going to be like at 28? Like, it, it can only get better. She's so quick. She's so, such an intelligent player that, yeah, just incredibly she's very happy she plays for England that'd be fun yeah yeah exactly and and I always love to see I hope they play Spain at some point because it's always fun to see um her go against um on a because they Mm. play down the same side and and that battle's always a fun one but yeah no there's I think Lauren Hemp for me especially because of the trouble that um City have had at the start of the season and she was just very consistent for them um and when a lot of turmoil has gone going on at your club and you're consistent I think there's a there's a lot to be said about that definitely could you imagine all our selections playing together? Wow, stacked. That stacked. would be scary, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Opposition would just turn around and walk away yeah. and go, no, no this no. is fine. Unless they have equally as good strikers because we've not picked any defenders, but yeah. <laughs> we've got a goalkeeper, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, to, just before we wrap it up, though, because we did it in the last podcast and we want to kind of, over the summer, um, keep this as a recurring theme. What is your favourite transfer rumour that you've heard? Any unhinged takes? Do you th- Have you got anyone that you think is going to go somewhere? This is completely off the record. We're not journalists. Um, we're, we're just people who like to watch football. So what is there anything you've heard or um, what would be your favourite transfer that you're hoping that's going to happen over the summer? I read today, just because it's an interesting one, um, and again, might be complete rumour, um, but Lucy Bronze to the to America, that would be really interesting in terms of seeing her play over there. Mm. What what about what about you, Beth? It's my not so hot hot take. <laughs> Ooh, um, yeah. I'd really like to see Drew Spence um, still playing at like in WSL. So I. I, there is a rumour that she'd be going to Spurs, which I think would be a very, very good fit, especially because she's she'd grow up in London. Um, mm. And I think Spurs would need someone like Drew, and she's she's still very, very good. Um, I think level of experience as well. Yeah, um, she's just so strong, and so I think she would fit very well and would get minutes at Spurs. So mm. yeah, it'd be quite exciting. And I think I think for me, my my one of this just before we started recording, Georgia Stanway is off to off to Bayern Munich. And I think there's going to be a lot of movement at Manchester City mm. over this transfer window. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see both who leaves and also who they get in. But on that note, though, that is all we have time for for today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and also on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. And make sure to give us a like. Plug your socials, guys. Where can we find the South London Laces? Instagram is the main one. So it's South London Laces FC. And then on Twitter. So it's self uh, on Twitter. It's South LDN Laces. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much to our lovely guests who have taken a lot of time out of their day today and come on. We'll see you all soon. 